the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All right, here we go again. Another edition of the Dave Ellswick Show on the road. We are in Louisville, Kentucky. I'm doing my uh, my show from Louisville today because we have arrived here on the tour. Today is we'll leave from the uh, the uh, uh, hotel at about um, 9:30 and get over to the Ark about uh, uh, quarter till 11. Stay there till about 3:30 come back here to the hotel, freshen up a little bit, and then head out to the uh, paddle boat, have dinner on it as we cruise down the Ohio River doing our thing, and then uh, come back, crash, and I'll get up to the show, get on the bus, and be on our way back to the uh, to uh, Little Rock. So uh, we traveled all the way from Branson yesterday to Louisville, but I've got to be honest with you, the uh, ride didn't seem uh, that uh, that uh, that long. J.R. Davis joins us. He's on the phone right now, uh, joining us here on the Dave Ellswick Show. And then uh, Ken Yang is on the phone as well. Uh, we're working on a couple of uh, technical issues. Uh, they're getting a little bit of uh, feedback, so that means that they're hearing a little bit of an echo. Uh, I'm I'm not getting that on my end. We're doing this a little bit different today because we got new technology that allows me to contact uh, the station uh, by computer through my phone. Smartphones now are smart enough that uh, they can hook with things back in the. Uh, this, the uh, the station now, so uh, we're able to do this by uh, our cell phone. The only thing that I haven't figured out is how to turn off that stupid notification noise. So every time a uh, an, um, a message is coming into me, you may hear that little noise in the background. J- uh, Ken, how are you doing today? Uh, not too bad. I can't uh, complain. Bad. A busy weekend with busy all the weekend. Republican festivities. So just trying to catch up on everything. On everything. Yeah, I bet you. Uh, how was Christy Nome's speech last weekend? Uh, I think she was great. I think she uh, uh, had a great message uh, of conservatism, but also one of unity, and just really, really rocked the house. Uh, everyone seemed to really like her. So I, you know. I don't think there are really much complaints about uh, about her speech. Speech. Good. That's fantastic. Jr. What have you been up to? You've been traveling around uh, the area here uh, recently and haven't been able to be on as consistently as you have been. Uh, nothing wrong with that, but uh, evidently you've been hard at work. Is that right? 
Everything is wrong with that, Dave. I need to be on every Thursday. Uh, no, it's just been crazy. We've been um, lots of uh, early morning meetings and traveling. Usually most of our stuff's in Little Rock. We've had a lot of stuff outside Little Rock, so just having to get up early and, and, uh, and get going. But uh, hopefully that settles down just a little bit. So how were things uh, in Nashville? Because I know you went up there for the governor's convention. How was that? Uh, It was great. It was really good. We have a really strong uh, Republican governors, um, a group of Republican governors across the country. Uh, We're going to be in play, I think, uh, strongly in some states that Probably a lot of folks would be like, "There's no way Republicans, you know, can win that state." But there's a chance we can, um, and uh, so I think that the Republic, you're going to see the Republican governors list grow uh, after 2022, which is great. But uh, that's good. It's just a good opportunity to, um, uh, you know, to, to get some face time with some other governors across the country um, and, and talk through some issues, some policy initiatives, et cetera. So it was really good. It was about two days, but it was a jam-packed 48 hours. Um, and and good stuff. So anytime we get to do that, I take advantage of it. Advantage of it. All right, fantastic. Uh, we may do some changing up, guys, over the uh, the first break. Uh, I think we'll probably uh, unconnect from the uh, computer back at the station, and uh, I will just use my phone and uh, talk to you that way. And I'm understanding that you're getting a uh, an echo on your end so we'll have to figure that one out and see what exactly is going on but like i said launch of a new technology once we get all the the bugs ironed out of this it's going to be great i can't tell you how nice it's going to be not to have to carry a whole lot of equipment with me all i have to have is my uh, my my earbuds and a microphone on my earbuds and uh, my uh, you know my my phone that's that's all i'll have to have and uh, then i'll be able to broadcast from anywhere how's that one for you I like okay that. I like that. Awesome. yeah I love, I, love, I love the 21st century i do too it's it's really exciting we're, we're getting to the point what we can do i mean if i was riding on the bus right now i could broadcast my show to you that's 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 crazy all right hold on uh we're going to take a first break and then when we come back uh, i'll probably sound a little bit different to you and i know uh when you talk to me it'll sound different so uh stay tuned we got uh, jr davis with us and then we got uh, ken yang with us and they're part of the dave ellswick show here on a thursday on 101.1 fm the answer all right, we've moved things around a little bit, and uh, we had an echo coming for our guests, so we've gotten rid of that, and we can now continue on with the show. 16 minutes after 6 on a Thursday, uh, we've had very little rain on this trip, but my uh, my phone has been just going crazy with emergency warnings about flooding for everybody back in Arkansas. So uh, when we come back, maybe we'll attach pontoons to our uh, motor coach uh, so that we can float uh, float on into the state. I guess there's been a lot of rain falling down there. Of course, the southeast part of the state, I saw where they got 10 inches of rain, and uh, the governor has, uh, I guess, declared a, a, a disaster order down around Dumas and areas down there. 
All right, back with you here on the Dave Ellsworth Show. Again, if you just joined me, I'm in Louisville. Uh, Ken is in Saline County. Uh, JR is in Pulaski County. And uh, then, of course, in the studio is Heidi, my producer. So we're, we're spread out all over the place. But because of modern technology, we can all get together and do the show. So let me ask you, Mr. Yang, you're going to be the chair of chairs. Is that right? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the state committee this weekend, we have a Arkansas Republican County Chairman's Association and a Senator, jo- Senator Mark Johnson, who's been the president uh, for the past, I believe, four or six years, decided not to run again. And so uh, all the chairs in the state of Arkansas and some of, some former chairs decided to make me the president, or as they call it, the chair of the chairs, and, and which comes with a seat at the state executive committee table. And uh, really excited and just blessed that, you know, they would do that. All right. So tell us what that means. What What is your responsibilities as the president of this group? Uh, I think you can make it what you want it to be. I think here in the state of Arkansas, uh, most people don't know uh, that since January, that there have been over 50 new county chairmen here in the state of Arkansas. And I tell people that's because people want something new. People want someone to fight for them. They want change. And so, you know, I've gotten um, at least 20-plus calls since this weekend just from chairman just chomping at the bit to get help, get training, uh, how to vet their candidates, all these other things. And they they just want someone that exudes strength and someone that will, will lead them and uh, and they're angry. You know, they're still angry over the last election cycle. They're angry over some of their elected officials, and they, they just want good, conservative, real Republican candidates. And, you know, that's what I, I plan to speak for them because uh, certain organizations have, have failed them in the past. All right. I liked what you said at the end of the article. You said that as uh, the uh, the chair, the head chair, that uh, you were going to help lead the Republican Party forward, bold, fast, and with conservative values. That's right. That's right. And uh, and pe- people are are yearning for that. It's, it's that that time. But you know, my my dad often talked about you know how our cult, the culture war and how we're losing, and he's always said, you know, don't blame the Democrats for all of it. Blame the Republicans for failing to stand up for you. And, uh, uh-huh. you know, and that's not all of them. That's not all of them. You know, we have great Republican elected officials here in the state of Arkansas and in the nation. But the ones that have failed us, uh, it's time to move on. It's time to elect people. And that's why Donald Trump got elected. Donald Trump got elected because he fought for the people. And, uh, and you know, he needed his Twitter taken away from him. But he fought for the people, and that's why people elected him and still still like him. All right. So, are you going to do a lot of uh, of tweeting here in the in the future now? <laughs> no, no. I I try to stay <laughs> off Twitter. I don't know how Jr. feels about it, but man, I that is you know you think Facebook's mean? Just get on Twitter and and it'll it'll blow your mind. I mean that is the uh, the echo chamber of the of the left, and you know sometimes it's funny and ironic because I feel like well this is the only place where where they can go where people will listen to them. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. What about you, Jr.? Do you do much in, in Twitter, or do you 
let that go to. I don't get on it because it seems like yeah. to me people just go there to argue. Yeah, I go on there to like you know check recruiting for Auburn and the Razorbacks and things like that. That's pretty much it. I used to be more involved on Twitter, but Twitter is just a a cesspool of negativity, and it is not a reflection. Uh, of the world in which we live, uh, which is good. That's that's something people need to keep in mind. But yeah, social media has gotten awful, and uh, and Twitter is certainly leading that cavalry. Uh, but yeah, I don't do it as much as I used to. All right. Well, let, let's move into the story that I picked as our top story today because it always amazes me how easily the left gets offended. Uh, a group of college professors that teach law have uh, decided that they're not going to teach the Dred Scott case, which is a huge case in the annals of history uh, here in the United States. In fact, you know, when you want to see the breakdown of slavery and that mentality and, of course, bigotry and discrimination, it's probably one of the biggest cases uh, that went through the Supreme Court, other than maybe Brown versus Ed- Board of Education. But you've you got a situation where you get, you've got college teachers now saying, I'm not going to teach this because reading the case law of that particular uh, legal uh, decision may offend some of my uh, minority students. Well, let me tell everybody if you can read that and you're not offended that people were thinking that way uh, during the time uh, that we finally overthrew that, then, you know, you need to do a check as far as that's concerned. It should offend you. It offends the the justices. And uh, if you're a student and you can't read it and understand it and process it, then you probably don't need to be a lawyer. And God knows that you shouldn't be a lawyer and then become a judge. What do you guys think about that? You know, I just, I'm just appalled. And, uh, you know, your, your listeners can't see my pretty face today, but, you know, I'm not black, but I'm also not white. I'm a minority. And, uh, you know, bad, bad stuff is in our history and we're, we should learn about it. Uh, you know, I, I went to Hendricks. I took two, two, two years of African American history taught by a black professor, and I did my final project on why we should get rid of affirmative action. And I got an A on uh-huh. it. There was no blowback. There was nothing like that. In this case, we're talking about a case from the 1850s. Uh, we're talking about history of where we come from. You don't know where we're going until, unless you know where where we come from. And it's just I don't I don't understand these professors, but I also don't understand parents. I mean, how are we raising such thin-skinned children that will hear some words on a sheet of paper and go home crying? What they should be learning is that bad people existed, bad people still exist, good people fought for them, Republicans freed the slaves here in the United States of America, and there's a reason why we're the greatest country in the world. And these, the, it's just they're they're trying to infuse wokeness into our history, and it's just absolutely ridiculous. 
I'm with you. JR, your thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, just ridiculousness all the way around. But when you're talking about, you know, law school and and not being taught a certain uh, uh, case file or, or, I mean, so much of what you do when you're in law school is you're studying the history of the law. You're you're studying, um, you know, precedent. You're seeing how things change over time. I mean, this was a seven to two decision against Dred Scott when this when this uh, ruling came down. We are a very different country today. It's just I don't understand um, this sort of insatiable appetite from the left. And especially from college campuses, and I'm not just trying to to uh, regurgitate, uh, you know, tired talking points uh, and and be cliche about this, but I, I'm truly concerned where we are so scared of looking at history, we are so terrified of of uh, you know reminding ourselves of what we used to be, but. There's also the, uh, you know, the the thinking too that right that if you if if you don't study your history, you're doomed to repeat it. And I just that's right. I don't understand this idea that we're better off as a country if we erase what we were uh, when we started. Um, look, uh, slavery is is a is the worst part of our history. Uh, it's despicable. Um, I'm. I, yeah, it, it, we absolutely should look back on it with uh, with a tremendous amount of regret and shame, period. But we should look back on it. That's also part of it. And so I just, you know, that's that's where we are a uh, uh, we are a rather young country in the grand scheme of things. When you look at Europe and and, and others, uh, but we have a history. We need to look at it. We need to study it. And we need to keep ourselves from repeating it. But there's nothing wrong with studying history. Uh, and it's just getting a little bit uh, ridiculous as every day. And the fact that people are taking this as sort of like, yeah, that makes sense. We shouldn't do that is what's probably yeah. more astonishing. Yeah, yeah well, I mean, I, there, I, I just Go looked ahead. at the article. I just looked at the article, and there's there's this uh, reporter that that, you know, agrees with, not teaching it because he's afraid of adolescent edge-lord white professors that will hurl racial epithets. And and it's just unbelievable that, you know, not only law professors would, you know, do this, as, as J.R. alluded to, but also just the, the, the media that would also celebrate this and push this um, because they also don't want you to be educated and learn about our our history. The the good and the bad is all part of history. I mean, that's why we had people at the state capitol uh, earlier this year testifying that you know the our great nation is is in, inherently racist. And the only reason why anyone would ever say that is because they don't know the history of our nation. Well, yeah, because this was a huge landmark case uh, for minorities. And it seems like to me that not teaching it is giving a chance for those types of thoughts to hold sway again in our country. That's what we don't want to happen. J.R., you made that point. That's exactly what we don't want to do. We don't want to repeat history. We got 30 seconds, guys, before for break. Go ahead. 
Jr. No, I'll just make that. My point is that you know, history is history. You have to learn from it, and it's okay to look back and study it. That's exactly what we should do. Um, and I'm just, I'm just saddened that this turns into a we don't want to hurt people's feelings. Yeah, it's it's it is. It's really really amazing to me. All right, we got to take a break, get the news in. And then we will come back and we will uh, talk further. we got other stories that we'd like to kind of knock around a little bit. Congratulations to Ken Yang being the chair of chairs of the Republican Party of Arkansas. More in a moment. All right, back with you live from Louisville, Kentucky, the Dave Ellswick Show. I'm sitting in my room right now doing the show. And uh, Ken Yang is here with me. He is the uh, chairman of the Republican Party of Saline County and he is the uh, president of the uh, uh, group that uh, is all of the uh, chairs here in the state of Arkansas. Then we've got uh, J.R. Davis, who is here, and he has joined us today as well. Uh, he works, uh, you know, a lot with uh, different uh, campaigns. So does Ken, just so everybody knows. But, J.R., you've been doing this for quite some time now. You had worked for the governor as his spokesman. And uh, you know what's going on in the state of Arkansas as well. Uh, I want I got a story I want to talk about. But before I do, it was something that I came up when I was talking uh, to Jr. during the break. Bring us up on what's going on as far as politics in the state of Arkansas, Jr. Uh, usually the summertime, things get kind of slow. Uh, but uh, that's not uh, really the case this year because you got redistricting and things of that nature that's going to happen. Yeah, that's right. And I would say, you know, normally uh, leading into an election year like 2022 with everybody running uh, so many uh, statewide seats uh, open uh, that there'd be a little more action right now. I think, you know, especially after a a very uh, long uh, but substantive uh, legislative session, um, you would normally see a little bit more activity. But the situation is... um, you remember the legislature did not, uh, they did not adjourn. They recessed so they could come back this right. fall around September, whenever they get the final census numbers from the feds to come back in and finish the uh, redistricting efforts. And so that's really sort of been what has uh, hovered over everyone is just the unknown. You know, what are these districts going to look like? Um, you know, members wanted to know, you know, if they're going to be overlapping with a current member or, you know, a place like Northwest Arkansas where they'll, you know, expect to probably get three or four new seats up there in the House. How does that affect the current uh, look at the districts and who's running in there? Uh, what about a new Senate seat? So there's just a lot of unknown right now, which I think is sort of pushed pause on a lot of the campaign activity, at least from the legislative perspective. And of course, you've got a lot of the uh, statewide candidates that are out and about and things are opened up and um, and events are happening. So that's a good sign. Now, here's what's interesting. And let me bring you into this, Ken, because uh, you take candidates as well and work with them. Uh, and you're a chairman of the Republican Party in Saline County. Uh, uh, some of these different districts uh, in the House and in the Senate are going to change. Some are going, there's going to be new districts that are going to be created. How difficult is it for somebody to make up their mind to run for an office when they don't even know that the district that they may want to run for even exists yet? 
You know, I, uh, I think it, it depends where you are in the state. You know, uh, uh, as, as JR knows, as JR alluded to, you know, some people are, are waiting, you know, especially incumbents that are where they're in areas where they may lose a seat, uh, particularly with population loss. But people, typically people that are challengers, um, you know, it just depends where you are. If you're someplace where more than likely the you're within a city, you know, and that city is probably going to still be in that same district, it's a little easier to make a decision. But if you're within a really big city where it's split into four or, or three or something, uh, you really have to decide which districts are around. Uh, if you announce, would you be willing to run against not only one person, but two people or whatever? Um, and most people are smart enough. They don't want to make that make that decision because they, they may only want to run against a particular candidate or particular rep or Senate. And so it does make it hard because uh, your ability to fundraise in campaign has been shrunk, which really benefits certain incumbents. And, uh, you know, I, I, there, there are people that were thinking about running for the legislature and now they're running for a open county positions because they don't have to worry about uh, the lines uh, within the county. So right. it really just depends where you are in the state and uh, how confident you are in, in running. Some people will run no matter what seat they're drawn into. Okay, so, Jr. let's bring you back into this discussion. When they get into redistricting, you know, there's always the, the hue and cry that goes up like they had here in, in the state about how uh, you know, the Republicans, they said, now that we're going to do this for the first time uh, that uh, Arkansas has been a state, uh, this is our first shot at it. And that it's it's going to be politicized as though the Democrats have never politicized redistricting. Uh, I, I can't think of the lady's name, but she said, you know, uh, we don't need politics and redistricting. Well, you guys should have learned that back over the 135 years that you've been doing this. It's been nothing but politics. And the the last time you came up with the Fayetteville Vinker. I mean, come on, let's be honest about all of this. I mean, how, how difficult is this? Uh, because whoever does the redistricting holds a lot of power in their hands. Is that not correct? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, you've got the uh, the board of apportionment, which is the governor, the attorney general, and uh, uh, secretary of state, and and they are the ones that are uh, looking at you know the legislative uh, state legislative districts. Um, that's yeah, that's a lot of power. Uh, in fact, the Democrats are the reason why those three are the ones that make up the board of apportionment, uh, mainly that's because. Right. Uh, I believe it was when um, Frank White beat Clinton that basically the Democrats said we need to make this more than just the governor. Uh, That's right. So there you go. You've got the AG and the Secretary of State. The goal of that BT Dub uh, was so they would always have Democrats <laughs> in their mind uh, that were uh, you know that would always outnumber uh, the Republican should the Republican win. Um, as they saw, you know, Rockefeller do as well. So that was political. Um, it's it's always it's always been political with Democrats, and Republicans will be accused of that as well. Um, and and I, but but the situation, you know, is this. I, <laughs> like if you're a Democrat, let me just paint the picture for you. There, there's there's not much that Republicans can do with this map 
to make our state redder. Our state is extremely red. There's no gerrymandering. Uh, like it, it's it's just a waste of time and and you know court expenses to do anything that looks like you know um, uh, some some crazy uh, you know district yoga uh, trying to get things to fit. There's just no reason for it because we are a red state. We're one of the reddest states in the union, um, and and it's hard to get much redder. Uh, but there will be some accusations, and Democrats will say that this is political, but people need to remember this is the very first time that Republicans have been in charge of redistricting since Reconstruction. That literally means every political handling of redistricting in the past, including the legislature uh, back in 2010, trying to give you know Mike Ross the Fayetteville finger. We all remember that, right? Uh, That's correct. That was all political that that has always been democrats republicans have never had a hand on it so i think people should definitely keep that in mind when they start seeing this process play out later this fall all right well let's go back to to ken and let him have the final word on yeah, it before I, we go to break i mean I, I this is the one time i wish more democrats listened to your show <clears throat> because as jr said and people don't hear this <laughs> enough i said you say at twitter all these Democrats on Twitter, like, oh, these Republicans gerrymandered these districts, and that's why they have a supermajority. It's just like, no, wait a minute, y'all need to learn your history once again. This is this is the failure of learning history. Is that the the Democrats drew all of these districts? I was part of the Secretary of State's redistricting team in 2011, so I know, I know, I I, I was in the room when Mike Beebe's people would come in and say, draw this district for so-and-so, draw this district for so-and-so, and And they drew those districts. And with Democrat-drawn districts, you know, the Democrats seem to be excited in Arkansas. I don't know what they're excited about. Democrat-drawn districts, we have 78 Republicans in the House and 27 Republicans in the Senate. I mean, I don't – and it's not going to get any better. So – And I agree. Democrats – Hey, that's the Democrats' map too. FYI, let's remember that too. Yeah. We've, we've taken twenty-seven in the Senate and seventy-eight in the House with the Democrats' map. Uh, so I right. just wanted to point that out there. <laughs> so yeah, you so know, look, they, they look, to, we need to be nonpartisan, and and uh, they they want to be nonpartisan because there's no they're no longer part of the process. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the key. Let's remember, go back to twenty ten where B.B. and McDaniel would meet, and um, and Martin, who was a Secretary of State, wasn't even invited to the meetings, and he was supposed to be uh, a person who could uh, could vote. Now, he was one of three, so that meant that the other two got together, and they were deciding, you know, as wolves, what they were going to have for dinner. So, uh, you know, Martin uh, did what, the, you know, he could do, which was virtually very little. Yes. Yep. I mean, it was always two to one. Every every vote was two to one, uh, yep. and, and you know, Mike Mike Beebe got what he wanted uh, when when the maps were finally drawn. I agree. All right, guys, let's take a break. We'll come back, and AOC is out talking, and she's saying something I've said all along that they that the Democrats nationally were going to do, and now she's starting to beat the drum of saying, "Hey, we better do this." Now, and we'll talk about it when we come back here on the Dave Ellswick Show. 
All right, so 10 minutes until 7 o'clock. If you're heading to work, that gives you a time hack, and you can look around where you're on on the highway or, you know, have you finished your first cup of coffee now and you need to leave the house by 7 o'clock to make it, make it to work on time, you know what the time is uh, here now uh, in, uh, you know, central Arkansas. I'm sitting in Louisville, Kentucky, doing the show today and, and, uh, and hosting uh we got Jr. He's in Pulaski County. We've got Ken Yang, who's over in uh, uh, Saline County. We got Heidi running the whole show, and she's sitting in the tower next to the uh, Catholic Boys High School uh, in the in the big uh, Tower West there, uh, in off of University. So uh, we're all over the place, but through modern technology, we can sit and have this discussion. Let's uh, discuss what AOC had to say yesterday, guys. Uh, she came out uh, and kind of twittering and firing away and on her Facebook. And she said, hey, look, we've got the, we've got the control of the House. Uh, we're really close in the Senate. We've got the presidency. And we have got to push forward everything we can to get through uh, Congress while we've got the, the majority of how thin it is. And she didn't talk about that. I mean, this is not like when Obama was elected and they had a they had a sizable majority, and they pushed through, you know, government health care. But um, just uh, the other day, I guess it was yesterday, the president uh, decided to say that he was stopping negotiations with the Republicans on the infrastructure bill because uh, we were what, ready to check off trillions of dollars. And we were going to uh, check off on a trillion dollars, but... He wants like $6 trillion, and we said, eh, that ain't going to happen. So he told the senator from West Virginia, not Manson, I can't think of the lady's name right now uh, from West Virginia, and said, uh, we're not going to negotiate. We're not going to negotiate anymore. And AOC is saying that we, we that they shouldn't negotiate with any of us. Uh, so much for bipartisanship, guys. But, uh, you know, I, I will give AOC credit. She understands that when you know at 22, their time is going to be uh, is going to be rough. So uh, let's start off with you, Ken. Your thoughts about what she's saying? Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, was a broken clock is right twice a day. Uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's uh, uh, you know that's AOC. At least she's right in this instance when it comes to strategy. Um, but you know. I, you know, Senator Kennedy ended up having, uh, um, you know, really bad cancer uh, prior to his to his death, so it wasn't like something planned. And um, and so, to you know, I, I'd be offended if I was the older Democrats alluding to uh, my impending death or whatever she wants to call it. Um, but whether they negotiate or not, they don't have Mansion on board on a lot of the things and. Um, you know, uh, it, it would you know it definitely would be harder if they lost the their fifty fifty if it becomes fifty one forty nine. Uh, you know, President Harris would lose uh, her her ability to break the ties. But at least AOC is right when it comes to tr- strategy uh, as as Democrats. Yeah, your your thoughts, Jr. Uh, to be honest, my thought is push every wild, crazy program you can and let the American people truly see what the Democratic Party is. But I'll turn it over to you, Jr. and let you talk about it. 
Yeah, but I'm going to go from even, an even sort of broader look at things. I mean, this idea, and I think really, uh, man, we could talk another hour just about this, uh, but the, the media's um, uh, ability to sort of push a certain narrative is getting crazier and crazier. And, and here's the situation. Uh-huh. You know, when we went back to Georgia and we had those two Senate seats, uh, it, it's appalling that we lost those seats. We'll, we'll eventually get them back. I'm certain in Georgia, but we lost them. And the idea that was set up in this sort of winner take all event, um, from the media was that, you know, the Democrats will now control the Senate. The Democrats will now control the house and they will control the white house. But this is very, very different than what we saw when president Obama, uh, was elected. I mean, this, these are, these are, basically split chambers uh, and you have some purple districts in the house uh, that are not going to go along with some of the things that Joe Biden is pushing because they are fearful of their reelect in a purple area that did well for Trump, uh, despite them picking up one of those seats. Um, I think that's going to be an issue. And then you've got the Senate and I know Ken mentioned this earlier, I believe, but look, Manchin and Cinema. Manchin's already said there's no way that he's going to vote to end the filibuster. He doesn't want to do that. To me, that's case closed. The Biden administration, the Biden agenda uh, is not going to go anywhere without Joe Manchin and Kristen Cinema from Arizona uh, moving towards uh, a yes vote on ending the filibuster because they, they need they need to be able to get that 50-50 vote and then have Kamala Harris break the tie. And I just don't see that happening. Um, and so Dave, to your point, AOC and everybody else can, you know, pitch a fit, cry, talk about what everything they need to push and that we're not pushing this hard enough. But I'm telling you right now, unless something changes on that front, uh, quite, you know, this is pretty much a, a lame duck, uh, first half of, of, uh, a presidency. And, and that's, I truly believe that, even despite Republicans not having control of either chamber. Well, let's all be uh, honest. Manchin is only doing what he's doing and not uh, uh, aligning with his party. I don't think it's anything to do with principle. It's uh, survival as being a senator in West Virginia. If he starts going far left, he will be thrown out of office in West Virginia because West Virginia was solidly conservative behind Trump. And if he starts acting like he's a anti-Trumper and he doesn't believe in, in uh, protecting uh, your, your rights to vote and everything like uh, the, the S one bill does, uh, he will lose his seat. I think that uh, that's a very uh, true statement that I'm making. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, that, and I think that yes, it's self-preservation mode with with Joe Manchin. He's had years uh, and cycle after cycle to decide whether he wants to stay as a Democrat or or flip to a Republican. I think he's made it clear what he's going to do. But I think that his, um, you know, and that, well, I will say this: like Joe Manchin is not some conservative bastion. I mean, he votes with Democrats way more often than the media portrays. However. Yeah. However, he is he does understand that there's some lines you're not going to cross. And I think if he sees himself as um, as the as the deciding vote on a filibuster, he knows. I mean, his bacon's roasted. Right. If he goes back to West Virginia being the the vote that gave Biden basically 
everything he wanted uh, as president. And that means corporate tax cuts through the or, uh, corporate tax increases to the roof, um, uh, individual income taxes to the roof. I mean, there's a lot that's going to happen if, if, if Manchin moves, which I don't expect him to. Now, everybody should remember that was the exact same position that Blanche Lincoln was in when she ran for re-election. Uh, what was it, 2010 that she ran for re-election and then got, yes. and got beat? And uh, that's exactly where Manchin is at. You can do it and join the, you know, the majority party and hold on because a lot of the people of your party in the state are moving to the, the other side. And you can take their movement and, and stay in power or stay elected. Or you can fight against it and end up like Blanche Lincoln and we're just working on K Street. Now, she probably doesn't care. She's probably making more money on K Street than she did as a senator. But I can tell you what, being on a lobbyist on K Street doesn't, doesn't carry the same principled belief that people look at the typical senators uh, as well. She comes back to the state. She's not a senator anymore. All right, guys, we're out of time. I appreciate you joining us. Really good talk today about local politics. I love doing this. We'll see you next uh, Thursday. Have a great day. And again to you, Mr. Yang, congratulations. This is the Dave Ellswick Show on 101.1 FM, The Answer. I think we're still having some technical issues uh, on Dave's end. So I will tell him to uh, call in to the show just regularly as we're having some technical difficulties, but that's okay. So, Jack Howard... Chuck. (laughs) Um, Joe, how are you doing today? I'm doing fine, Heidi. How are you? Other than the technical difficulties. Yeah. Well, this is Joe from Joe's Garage and uh, waiting on Dave to get hooked up here. Uh, what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about cars and trucks. Uh, Duck is not with me this morning. He's feeling ill again. Uh, guy, poor guy, can't catch a break. But anyway, we got a couple folks here that have uh, emailed in questions, and I'm going to run through a couple of them and uh, see what we can do to help these folks. Uh, Shannon has a 1990 GMC uh, 1500 Suburban, and after replacing the fuel pump and the fuel filter, Suburban now starts, but it has a really high idle. They parked the truck one night. They came out the next morning. They traced the issue to no fuel, replaced the fuel filter, and fuel pump. Truck now starts, but it idles really high, like the engine is going to blow up. Before we just started replacing thought parts, they wanted to ask and, and get a few ideas. I have a couple of ideas on that. I don't know how they did to test this, but I think they probably have created and have a hose off, probably creating a vacuum leak. This is a 1990 Suburban with a... Five seven in it. It is a it's a throttle body engine, and uh, they have a bad problem with the uh, 
controlling the idle. It works off an idle air control motor, which is a control vacuum leak. So if you have an external vacuum leak, it's not going to be able to control the idle. Most likely, it's going to be the big hose going over to the booster. Probably knock that loose. That's why it's idling real high. That would be my easiest guess. Hey, Dave. Hey, I'm back with you. All right. It's been kind of an interesting morning today. We (laughs) we have several different pieces of equipment and. you know, when you try out new things, sometimes they don't work out the way that you're told that they're going to work out, and that's what's uh, occurred this morning. So we'll do it with the smartphone uh, right now and get everything hooked up, and I'm with you now, and I'll be with you the rest of the uh, of the hour. That's great. Uh, we understand that Duck is not here today. He's suffering from a little bit of, uh, of uh, stomach, stomach yeah. issue. He'll be back next Thursday. We'll make sure everybody knows it's... Not anything fatal, except that you feel like it's fatal uh, <laughs> when you when you when you got this kind. Of, he's got a little bit of food poisoning that causes some problems. Yep. And uh, so he is uh, he he is where he is right now. He's at home. That's where he's at, and that's where he needs to be. But Joe is with us. Be with us the entire hour. If you have a car question, all you have to do is call in, and that's at five zero one eight two three zero nine six five. 501-823-0965. And Joe, take your question over the air, and he'll try to help you out a little bit. Uh, there are some things that, you know, when you have noises and rattles, that it's better for him to be able to hear them. Uh, there are some, some things that issues that happen that if he ho- hooks it up to one of his computers uh, at uh, the station, uh, he's going to be able to to zero in on what the problem exactly is. For instance, if 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 he would plug in and it would say an O2 sensor, well, yeah, it might be an O2 sensor that's being affected, but is it something that's basically upstream from the O2 sensor that's causing the O2 sensor to act weird? And uh, that's the kind of information that Joe has to look at to make a, a really honest kind of thing. But he can give you some ideas of what the problem may be because the man's been a, you know, a technician, you know, for years. I mean, just years, he's seen a lot of this stuff and uh, he, he hears of your problems and he goes, you know, as I had that happen to me a lot with that particular uh, model of car and, and uh, here's what I think you might want to look at. So, I mean, that's how it all works. Is that not right, Joe? Yes, sir. That's uh, basically it. We, uh, this, you know, all the knowledge I have is in my head. I have no cheat notes in front of me. I don't know the questions till they're asked. And, and, uh, it's all comes from memory. And, uh, we don't even have any laptops here to do TSBs or anything like that. So it's pretty much just, uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's okay. It's pretty much just, uh, from, uh, from life experience and working on these cars for, I'm going to say, probably uh, going on 45 years. So, anyway, you get the best of my knowledge in my head, and the same if Duck was here. And, uh, you know, you, you, you say squeaks and rattles, they're very difficult even when you're sitting in the car. You can hear a squeak, you can hear a rattle, but can you duplicate it in the shop? That's a different story. So sometimes that can be an issue, but, you know good descriptions of uh of the noise sometimes we can hit it because uh we see that a lot in that year making model so you know give us a shot on it we don't mind trying 
All right, so you've got the questions right in front of you. I have yet to be uh, able to pull them up on my my phone. I'll get them up here in just a moment. What's our second question that we got, Joe? Uh, the uh, We have Weldon has a 2009 Volkswagen Rabbit S five-cylinder, 2.5 liter. Uh, halogen headlights do not work. My Model S has headlights with xenon bulbs on the outside and halogens on the inner part of the assembly. The halogens are supposed to come on when the switch is turned on. They don't. The bulbs work. I recently replaced the ECM, and that isn't the issue. I replaced the switch, not the issue. When I remove a bulb, a sensor light comes on on the dash. I can't figure it out. Is it a relay? Is there a fuse that I'm overlooking? Well, it's got a lighting control module on this car, which means when you turn the headlight switch on, you're just requesting it to turn the headlights on. And... All the bulbs are fused on the vehicle. The low beams, the high beams, they all have separate fuses. So I'm going to say that somewhere in there, he's probably, I don't know if he's checked the fuses or not. It'd be odd for them to be bellowed both on both sides unless there was a problem, I would say, in the wiring harness. But I doubt that. I really suspect that it's got a module issue. Uh, Only way to test that would be have the car, Dave. You know, you can't... uh, and I don't know why all he's done to it either, you know. Why did he put the ECM in it, the engine control module? This is processed through a lighting control module, which basically the headlight stuff go through the body control module. So I don't know. He may have an issue there, but I think on some of this he's been guessing, and he's just not uh, he's not getting it took care of. So be happy to look uh, at it for him. Yeah, the, the whole thing is that now with cars, you know, you – have so many computers on those cars that you've got to be able able to access computers to be able to figure out, uh, you know, what they can, you know, you know, where to go on the car to fix the problem that is, you know, making itself manifest. Correct. Yeah, Dave, you know, a manual switches on cars today aren't, for instance, if you push the button to roll the driver's window down, that switch doesn't control the window motor. It makes a request to a module, which is generally a relay and, and a BCM or uh, some one other type of, of module that, that's processed through. And it makes a request to roll that window down. And that module is what rolls that window down and rolls it back up. And a lot of times when you replace the switch assemblies or you replace the motor assemblies, you have to go in there and tell it you've done that and do a relearn process on it. So everything is, is, is I would guess you would call it uh, programmable, and it's not necessarily the manual switch that works the whatever you want it to turn on, even the wipers, the headlights, the windows, the seat switches, all that is processed information. All right, we're going to go ahead and get our, uh, our uh, break in at 7.15, and then Joe and I will return, 823-0965, 823-0965. Is the phone number to call to talk to Joe and ask him your question here on the Dave Ellswick Show, 1011 FM, The Answer. Are you there, Dave? How was your trip? Okay. I'm not hearing the station right now, but that's okay. All right. What what question you want to go to, Joe? Uh, let's 
Great, let's, let's do that. Uh, this is the Dave Ellsbick uh, Show, 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, back with you 20 minutes after 7, Dave Ellswick Show. Joe uh, is here from Joe's Garage answering your car questions, 823-0965. Understand Justin is on the line with us. Justin, how are you? And welcome to the Dave Ellswick Show. Your question for Joe. Hey, Justin. Good. Good. Thank you. Uh, yes, sir. Um, this is for a friend of mine. Uh, she has a, a scooter that uh, won't. It used to go like 55 miles an hour, and now for some reason it won't go above like 35. Um, and I told her I had no idea what that might be, so I thought I would call and ask about that issue. I'm sorry I don't have a lot of de- details other than that. You're talking about a, a scooter you ride? Yes, sir. Correct. Okay. Well, I it, think it's one of those uh, made in China, you know, not yeah. the best quality. So yeah, I got you. Not not surprising that it's having issues. Well, it might be, you know, a fuel-related issue because uh, those are pretty basic. Uh, it could be an exhaust-related issue, too. I, I don't uh, – I'm not going to be able to help you too much with that uh, without seeing the, the scooter, you know. I don't work on those things, but, you know, a combustion engine is a combustion engine, so – and there's only a few things that would limit the power on it. One would be a lack of enough fuel to go faster, and two, or exhaust not going out the tailpipe. Had some trouble mm-hmm. with some of those years ago, I remember, and even on some of the lawnmowers, riding lawnmowers, where, and even, uh, uh, I guess you call them gas-starting weed eaters and things like that, where the exhaust would get a little bit restricted, and that'll limit the mm-hmm. RPMs on it, too. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. That's All about right. the best I can help you with, Justin, on that. All right, Justin, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Let's move on, Joe. Okay. Uh, you got questions right in front of you. Yes, you, sir. You had a question uh, dealing with a, uh, a Dodge that was having problems with acceleration, of all things. We move right over to a car now with acceleration uh, problems. <laughs> Why don't we talk a little bit about that? Okay, we can do that. It's Theodore. He has a 2005 Dodge Magnum with a six-owner 2.7 liter. His complaint is no acceleration when he hits the gas pedal. He has a PO-174 code. He changed the O2 sensor, cleared code, started car, hit the gas engine, once put in drive. Car only goes about two miles per hour. I think it's in limp mode. How do I get it out, or could it be something else wrong? Well, I believe it's something else wrong. A PO-174 is a lean O2 sensor, which means the O2 sensor is staying in the lean mode, which means the fuel mixture is lean. Uh, generally, uh, these cars are set up when they set certain codes. It takes the accelerator away, puts it in a limp mode. Basically, that's just enough to get you down the road so you can get it to the repair shop or get you off the side of the road where you're not in the traffic. Uh, I'm going to say it's probably got other codes in there. Uh, that year model, 2005, with a 2.7, I can tell you they had, they, they've had a lot of problems with different sensors on those. Uh, I know he's got other codes in there, and, and I would really like to know what those are, but, but without looking at it and, and scanning it and seeing what's in there. But basically, the way limp mode works, if, if folks out there don't understand, if it sets certain codes in it, these computers have to talk to each other, the engine computer, the transmission computer, the ABS, the traction control, they're all the time talking to each other. And if one of them sets a code for a certain problem, 
it shuts the other ones down. Or if they don't think it's safe to drive like that, it'll put it into limp mode where you can only go like 5 to 10 miles an hour. And it puts it in a certain uh, range in the transmission. It says, now get it to the shop and get it checked and get it fixed. And I think that's where he's erring right there. I think he's probably been down at the parts store and they've been doing a code test on it. And they're coming up with codes and he's working on it and hanging parts on there for those codes. And he needs to look more in depth and needs to look at all the systems on that car, not just in the engine. He'd look in the transmission, the uh, analog brake system, the traction control system, and see if there's something else in there that's causing it to go into limp mode. It's not just always just an engine code, Dave. All right, so what you're telling me is that, you know, as you look at this, you just got to just get as many of those codes as possible, and then you line them up and go down the line for them. Is that correct? Yeah, you know, when you do a code test on a car, we do what they call a vehicle scan. It hits, like, all the computers in there, not just the engine computer, but it hits them all. Then you can see all the codes that are in there. But you can't do that with a code reader because it's not capable of doing that. He needs a little bit more advanced scanner. Um, but but if you had one in limp mode and you had an engine code and you had a ABS code and you had a transmission code, that would be our job to determine which one of those is the main code that we need to concentrate on. And a code test doesn't tell you what's wrong with it. It just tells you where you need to be looking to figure it out. You could have a circuit okay. problem. You could have a blown fuse. You could have something minor like that you could have something major like a broke wire you could have a sensor this bad and we actually go in there and we hook up a lab scope dave and we actually graph and look at these sensors to make sure they're working properly and make sure we have uh power going to them we have data on the data communication line we've got voltage on the five volt reference coming back going out we're checking all this we're testing not guessing he's in a guessing mode right now because he's hanging parts on it from one code and I know it's going to right. have more than one in there. I promise you. Yeah, this is interesting as we because we've talked about this before, and that is that all these codes do for you is give you an idea of a starting point, and uh, usually when it's an O2 sensor, which this code was, uh, it's definitely usually something else, as I call it, upstream. There's something else that's that's happening in the the line of things that go wrong that affect the O2, but it, it's a, it's reacting to what kind of information that it's getting, correct? Yeah, like, like this is. A PO-174 uh, is a lean code. What if it had a injector circuit that was bad, rodent chewed a wire on it, or the injector was stopped up, okay? That's going to give you a lean code because that cylinder is not getting any fuel. Of course, there's a misfire in that engine, too. So the misfire will put you in the lump just on its own. But the lean won't, in my opinion. You've got some other code in there. And and it's going to have to be tracked down to determine what it is. And, and you know, 90% of O2 codes are switching codes. They stay too fixed too lean too long or they stay fixed too rich too long. That doesn't mean the O2 is bad. That means O2 is working, but there's a fuel management problem in front of that, Dave, coming from the engine. Because the O2s are in the exhaust after the engine's running, 
The exhaust is flowing through the pipe and your O2s are in the pipe and it's monitoring that fuel, that unburned fuel that comes out that tailpipe and it knows when it's running right. The perfect O2 reading you'll have is when you look at it on a scanner and it goes click. A little bit rich. Then all of a sudden it'll go click and it'll say we're a little bit lean and then it'll go click and it's rich again. That's perfect fuel management because it's switching back and forth in about a two to five second switch. Bang, 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 bang. The minute it sees it too rich, it leans it up. The minute it sees it too lean, it richens it up. That's the perfect fuel management you would have. One to two percent rich, one to two percent lean. All right. With that information that you just shared with us, we got two minutes left here, about a minute and a half in fact. Okay. Or rush. Uh, let's let's look at that and and say that you see all of that information, and all of a sudden you don't have all that information because the person had the the company pull that they went to pulled the uh, the information down and then they cleared out the car so you don't see all those other codes now you're in the dark correct? Well, you know our our scanners and most cars today are are capable of taking a snapshot or what you call a freeze frame picture when it sets Uh that code it takes all the data on all the sensors and just takes a picture of it it's called freeze frame data the minute the code said it freezed everything on that screen and you can go in there with a scanner and you can say all right i got a po 303 that's a number three cylinder misfire and you can pull it up, and I can tell you what speed the engine was, what RPMs the engine was at, what speed the car was traveling, and all this good information. If it's an intermittent problem, I can go drive it and exactly duplicate that to try and duplicate that to help us diagnose why you had that misfire at that speed and what's going on with the car. Okay. But if you take this you to keep, one of the parts keep, places keep and your thought, Joe, yeah. keep your thought. Okay, we got to take a break, and then we'll come back. First, let's hear from Rush. All right, things may have been uh, figured out here. Uh, we've, we've got uh, a piece of equipment that has not been working for us, suddenly working clearly now. It's been a weird day, Joe. Everything's been going wrong. and uh, But I hope everybody hasn't known that it's been going wrong, and we've been switching between uh, different pieces of equipment. We're back. What We've got what we call a Comrex, which uh, takes the signal here, uh, digitalizes it, sends it to the station into a receiver that uh, puts it onto the board and we get it out over over the air. The day started off harsh because my coffee maker wouldn't work here in the room, which I'll be taking <laughs> care of as soon as I get out, and I, I don't do well without coffee. All right, question for you. I, I, let's go back and finish up what we were talking about, which is, when you go to these different parts companies, and it's not Burlingame or Bumper to Bumper because they don't do this, and they go out and read the codes uh, on your car, they get a little. Usually, it's like a little. It looks like a little kind of stick thing that gives them a code. Here's the key: it, it they'll give you a code, but then maybe there's five or six others that they don't get into, and they clear those codes out of the car. And that puts you back to square one, trying to figure out what the problem is with the car. Well, it slows us down for sure because they've erased stored data. You know, I can tell on my scanner, Dave, code set this ignition cycle, previous ignition cycle. A lot of times the databases, it'll say code set prior to being cleared. But there are some freeze frame data in there that when you clear those codes goes away and you don't have an opportunity to retrieve that again. 
And the freeze frame data is important to us sometimes because it makes us be able to go drive the car and duplicate the circumstances exactly to try and uh, diagnose what the problem with the vehicle is. But when you go in there and they say, well, you got a disc code and that code and that code, well, let's try that. And you buy that part and you put it on there and then they clear the codes out and let you go drive it and poof, you're back saying, no, it's still running the same. The light's back on. Well, right. you have to remember, those guys don't work on cars. They sell parts. So they've done their job. You just yep. you just went to the wrong place. Should have brought it into a repair shop, a bumper-to-bumper certified service center, and we're going to test the vehicle before we put any parts on it. We test, not guess, and that guy's clearly been guessing, you know. So I got you. All right, so uh, yesterday – I was uh, checking out. I, I know that you guys have been getting an inordinate amount of rain over the last few days. Yeah. And, and I've been checking it out uh, and, and seeing what uh, the news is. And I see the southeast uh, Arkansas is just inundated with rain down there. But I was watching a piece of video on one of the uh, news channels, local news channels. And I was watching it and I went, oh, don't do that. It was showing a flooded piece of highway, yeah, and and a car started across, and they got about a third of the way across, and the car stopped. And now you, I'm watching them open their door up, and water's going into their car, mm-hmm. and the people are freaking out. Let's go over this one more time because back in the day, this wasn't as big of a problem as it is now. Uh, cars that were, you know, built uh, when I was a younger man uh, pulled the air usually from above the engine down into the car. That's correct. Now, now when uh, you look at cars, you can see the the uh, uh, the holes for that in your around your bumper. So yes. that means it's coming in from below the engine, which means you don't have to get in a lot of water before you end up with a lot of water in your engine. And if you get water in your engine, you're going to have to buy a new engine probably. So uh, I watched that and saw that happen. Why don't you talk about that just a little bit because okay. you've been having so much rain, and I'm sure people are driving through uh, high water marks that they shouldn't go through. Yeah, the typical late model car, the air inlet We'll, you'll open the hood and you'll see it come over there and it'll usually go over towards the battery or to up towards the left headlight to right headlight and then there's a plastic tube that goes down and on some vehicles it goes down on both sides on the big v8s but the four cylinders and v6s usually use one but it goes down and it'll generally be on the bottom side of the bumper cover which is below the bumper Mm-hmm. And and when you're driving down the highway and it's dry outside, you're ramming that cool air into that engine. And that's what they want. They want it rammed in there before it goes through the radiator and the con- AC condenser and gets warmed up because the cooler the air, the more efficient the engine is. And, of course, when you see a road that's flooded and you say, well, I can go through that. It's only six inches deep. Well, but you got a wake effect. The minute those wheels hit that water, it starts pushing it up to the front of the car and you'll get a you'll get a wake just like a boat coming off a boat. The wake goes up. That wake goes up and it covers up that air inlet and it sucks that water up in there. And the minute it does that, it'll get it into the motor to get on top of the pistons and it'll cause it to hydrostatically lock, which means it kills the motor. A lot of times these engines, when it does that, it bends the rods. 
it damages the internal components of the engine. To get it to crank again, you've got to actually take the plugs out of it and turn it over by hand, get the water out of there, and then start it up and see if there's any damage. I have one at the shop right now. The gentleman's from Texas, and he was in high water two days ago. And he said, after I got it dried out, it run all right, but he's at my shop right now because it's got two holes in the block. It bent the rods, and, mm. and it damaged the motor internally, and it finally the motor come apart. So he's got his girlfriend come to get him, and we're putting a motor in his car. But just from going through the high water, and you know, the rule of thumb is if you can't see the road, don't drive through it, period. Right. Because you really don't know how deep it is. Yeah, go around and find a different way. It'll save you a lot of money in the long run. Absolutely. You know, be safe, not stupid, you know. Yeah. All right, Cindy's got a 2000 Chevy Silverado. It's a 2500 base, eight-cylinder, six-liter engine. Kind of an interesting problem. She says, I got a problem with my air conditioning. It cools for a while, then doesn't. When we turn the AC off for a while, then back on, it will cool again for a short time. The AC has been fully charged, and the fan clutch has been replaced. What could be the problem? Well, that's I've seen one of these earlier this week, okay? Uh-huh. And inside the, the evaporator case, there's what they call a, a uh, temperature sensor. And what's happening to this vehicle from their description is that it's getting too cold. Now, when, when that... Uh, thermistor which is the temperature sensor and evaporator says it's too cold and it's going to freeze up it'll disengage the ac compressor or you can manually turn it off and when that gets warm again you can turn it back on and it'll blow cold again and basically what it's supposed to do is when it gets too cold it makes it tells the hvac control module hey we need to disengage for a few seconds and then come back on that way it cycles on and off like it's supposed to but it sounds to me like it's staying engaged all the time and it's icing up is what's happening. Okay. I had that happen to me in a uh, Escort that I owned. Yeah. And it would get so cold it would blow <laughs> ice chips out of the vents. And then it quits and it start blowing hot because it froze That's up. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And then it had to literally thaw out and then it would run perfectly. No problem uh, whatsoever. Yep. All right. Let's get one more question in before we go to break. Uh, this is uh, Kareem. He's got a 1995 Dodge Ram, a 1500, 8-cylinder, 5.9 liter. He says uh, it pulls hard to the left when he's braking. He says, I've replaced both brake calipers, both rear uh, wheel ca- uh, cylinders, master cylinder, correctly bled the air before installation. Track bar and steering linkage are in correct alignment. No leaks found anywhere in the brake lines, but keep bleeding air from the system have bled it five to six times in the last three months okay so kareem is is trying trial and error here which is typically not the best way to fix your car joe if he'd come to you what would you have done well this this particular vehicle with this age i'm going to tell you probably what i think is wrong with the hard pull okay it's going to have some front brake hoses that are deteriorated and the holes the rubber on these brake hoses, when they get old, that they'll deteriorate and they'll swell up on the inside of the hose and restrict the fluid flow. One side will re- get restricted more than the other one. So if he hits the brakes real hard or the first time he hits the brakes and it pulls one way, that brake hose, the hole is bigger in it than the other side because it's a hydraulic 
travel from your master cylinder source out. One's getting there before the other one because the hole in the hose is bigger around. And we have to replace these hoses, which if he put calipers on it, I would have recommended two new front hoses. Mm -hmm. But also those hoses, they'll get cracked on the inside and the outside and, and may not see anything leaking externally. But I'll be willing to bet you he's not getting the fluid flow through there like it should be to actually get all the air out and get it bled good. See, this is where your experience comes into play as a technician. You've seen this before. Yes. A person who just has a, a pickup truck and, and says, i got a brake problem, first thing he's going to think is calipers and pads. Well, mm-hmm. there's more to the, to the brake assembly than calipers and pads, and you know that, and you've seen it, and you fixed it. Yeah, you, you'll hit the brakes, and it'll pull hard to the left, and then you hit them again, and it'll straighten up because you've, you, you've let the hydraulic pressure on the side that's restricted finally gets up there to that caliper and it applies it. Uh, All right. it it's, a common, it's a common thing, Dave. All right, there you yeah, Common for you, not for us. I got you. <laughs> Just saying. All right, we're going to take a break here. Joe is going to be with us for the rest of the show. We've got about another 12 minutes that he'll be able to join us. If you have a question, 823-0965, 823-0965. Dave Ellswick show. Uh, we've got the, the car and truck guys in with us on uh, a Thursday. We do this every Thursday. Uh, Duck is usually here, but he's under the weather. He'll be back next Thursday, and we'll be back with more questions when we return here on 101.1 FM, The Answer. All right, let's get back to the phones. David is in Benton. David, how are you and your question for Joe? Hey, David. Hey, good morning, uh, Dave and Joe. Um, I've got a 2006 Chevy Impala, and it kind of freaked me out the other night. I was driving uh, with my low beams on. And I hit my high beams, and they came on, uh, as usual. And then after about six or seven seconds, uh, the lights went out. And I kind of freaked out, and I hit the low beams real quick, and the low beams came back on. And everything was fine, and I thought, well, that was weird. So I tried hitting the high beams when it was safe to do so, and they came back on. And then after about six or seven seconds again, uh, the lights went out. So I hit the low beams, and the low beams came back on. Well, I, I'm going to tell you, most likely, the way you're describing that, the, the high beam and the low beam bulbs on that particular year model are all fused. So you don't have a short of any kind like that. I think most likely you're going to have a problem with the dimmer switch itself. On the, on the turn signal arm, when you hit that, that is what they call a multifunction switch. It's a dimmer switch. It's a turn signal switch. It's a... Uh, a lot of times it's a wiper and a cruise switch and all that, and it's, it goes around the column right. itself. And on the top up there, it's, a lot of times it's got the emergency flasher button on the top of it there. But most okay. likely that's a manual switch. And I'll bet if you if you wiggle and play with that a little bit when it's on a high beam, when you're sitting at the house, when you're not driving, right? and I think the contact in there is probably getting hot, and that's why it's going off, okay? But that's okay. where I would be looking at that switch right there because it's a manually operated switch, and you're driving a car that is an 06, and this is 2021. Correct. And, and, I mean, it was my dad's car, and yeah. I, I keep it for memory in here. I got you. And, and, and most likely, you're just going to end up putting a, a dimmer switch in it or a multifunction switch, and it'll probably correct your issue, okay? Well, thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. Thank Thanks you. for the call. Appreciate your call. 823 
823-0965 if you want to talk to Joe about any kind of car problem. Hey, Joe, how yes. much does a switch like that run? They're kind of pricey, Dave. I think that switch for that car right there is probably 180 200 bucks to buy it because it's a multifunction switch. It's a wiper switch, turn signal switch, dimmer switch. Uh, all of those combined together. Mm-hmm. It, and and they you know they make one it's just one switch that does everything that's why it's called multifunction but they're kind of pricey especially in the GMs it's okay. about uh, it's about an hour and a half's labor to put that in so it's about oh, one hundred fifty dollars wow. labor to do that as well as the price on the switch I could get up into three fifty four hundred dollars easy all right so I wanted to talk about this uh, question here this is an interesting question it's a two thousand eight Pontiac G5, a four-cylinder 2.2, says there's a ringing noise under the engine when I turn on my AC or when I'm in idle. I went on a 400-mile trip to Arizona. There was no problems beforehand. After the trip to Arizona, there was a ringing noise underneath the engine as soon as I turned the car on with the AC. Now it's gotten to the point where I just turn on the car and it clicks like metal tapping on metal constantly. Know of any tips or or, uh, or bolts that would make that sound? And if so, how do I make it stop? Well, it, I, I'm going to tell you the, what it sounds to me like. It was doing this with the AC turned on, and I think he's got an AC clutch that's got an issue. It may, And a lot of times you'll see them where they'll kind of get hot and burn up. Mm-hmm. But they'll still engage, but there's some components on the front of that, some springs and stuff that are broken that are probably slinging around. Uh, you know, without hearing the noise, it's very difficult. You know that, Dave. Yeah, we talk about that all the time. But but from what he's telling me and the way it says here, it's got to the point to where it's doing it all the time. I think that clutch is completely burned up, and the hub is probably just spinning around without being engaged. Going, That's what okay. I think. So. All right. That's uh, that's a, 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 an interesting answer for that. I just thought it was interesting that he wasn't doing it. He went on a, a trip to Arizona, 400 miles, and came back, and he had a problem. All right, let's see. I, I don't want to go back into the, the real deep past. How about Jenny with a 2012 Chrysler Town & Country Touring, six-cylinder, 3.6-liter, she says, I ran over a huge tree stump. The van got wedged uh, between front tires after running over a tree stump. Passenger side tire was lifted off the ground by a few inches, had to get pulled off. Now the ABS and traction control lights are lit up in the dash. Can you can the van be driven to the mechanic or is it not safe to drive? Could there be bad damage under the van? Well, you know, the answer to those questions, no, it shouldn't be driven because you don't know if there's damage under there because you can't see under there. A tow bill is relatively cheap, Dave. Yes. What if you tried to drive it and you did have damage and you had a crash and somebody got hurt all to save a few dollars on a tow? That's not really worth it, is it? Nope, I don't think that it is. I don't either. Better be safe do. than sorry is my point there. <laughs> yep, I'm with, I'm with you on It took me a long time to figure that out. Uh, I had to have a couple cars that had blown head gaskets because I kept driving them on the highway mm-hmm. uh, to take it to, to someplace instead of stopping and just calling the tow truck and coming and get it. And instead of that, I pushed it too far. 
You know what I'm saying? Well, sure. And then on this car with the ABS lights and stuff on, it's going to have some wheel speed sensors on the front of that. Probably broke the wires going to it. Maybe broke the sensor. Maybe bent something. Uh, you know, those lights are on because it's not working properly. That's not a reason not to drive it. But the fact you don't know how it's going to drive and what all has been under there. What if you take off and a hose, a metal, a, a, one of the brake hoses or something got damaged and you lose your brakes? It's, it's not worth it, Dave. It's just too many bad things could happen by trying to drive it. Well, here's my suggest, uh, suggestion from now on for this this person and don't drive over tree stumps. Yeah, that's first thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the thing to do. All right, Brian's got. Let's. I, I think you can answer this one pretty quickly. We're down to about three minutes. Twenty twelve Ford Fusion SE four cylinder, two and a half liter. The front brakes make a grinding noise. I hear a grinding noise in the front when making a hard stop, but not when I gently apply the brakes. What's wrong? They're wore out. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. Most likely. So why does why do you hear it when you put it on hard and or and and doesn't when you're just trying to to to, to finesse it to a stop? Well, you got a hydraulic pressure. The brake caliper is just a piston that comes out and it squeezes against the disc. Uh-huh. They're lightly into the metal, so if you squeeze it lightly, you don't hear it as loud. But if you squeeze it real hard, like apply a hard pressure to the brakes, you hear it louder. Okay. Yeah, you're just applying more pressure and, and, and grinding the metal to metal harder is all you're doing. All right. We're out of time for questions. Let me ask this. On the August 28th, we're going to have the car show with Bumper to Bumper and all of you Bumper to Bumper Certified Service Centers. Uh, what do people need to do to get their cars into the show? Well, they can go on to b2bautoparts.com, go to their uh, Bumper to Bumper website, and you can link up there and you can get pre-registered. And uh, It's at the uh, Conway Expo Center. And uh, I think that this year, Dave, we're going to have a big turnout because last year we were killed because of COVID. But I got a feeling that everybody's going to be raring to go this year and have a big turnout on cars. I so agree with you. If you're just going to be a spectator, probably going to be the place to be that morning. Just come out and look at some fine automobiles, Dave. All right, Joe, thanks for coming in and being part of the show today. Thank we you, hope Dave. that uh, Duck gets himself uh, feeling better and joins us again next Thursday. Until then, well, until 6 a.m. tomorrow morning, I'll have Robert Steinbach and Chris Corbett on. We'll look at things from the legal side of politics. Then we'll have, uh, of course, Matt Smith on. Big, big, big movie coming up uh, at the end of the month. You should buy your tickets for it now. I'll tell you what that movie is tomorrow on the Dave Ellswick Show. Have-